<coughs> just walk up there. It's gonna have a little church on 640 Main Street this morning. That's good. Welcome to church. Y'all can be seated. Pastor, take amen, it away. Amen. Amen. Hey, you glad to be here this morning? Say yes. And uh, can everybody hear me out there? I'm asking because I can't hear myself. I'm asking you, can you hear me out there? Amen. God bless you, Jason Graffinino. Hey, listen, this is Mason Deemer. Mason, uh, actually, I met him in the foyer about three weeks ago and uh, shared the gospel with him there, and he prayed to receive Jesus. So this morning, he's coming to be baptized, and we're fired up about that. And uh, Mason also has some family here. You guys, family and friends, would y'all stand real quick? We'd love just to recognize you. Y'all give it up for Mason's family and friends. Very good to have you all here this morning. Now, baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is just a picture, uh, really, of what Christ has done in your heart. And so, Mason, when I put you under the water and pull you back up, it's a picture of Jesus' death and burial. And when I pull you out of the water, it's a picture of his resurrection. But also, it's a picture of your old life being buried and now your new life being lived for Jesus. And we're fired up about that, right? Good deal, man. Grab hold of that muscle arm there. Where are you going, man? You're holding your breath. He's serious about this, ain't he? Grab it right. You can hold your nose if you want to. Bend your knees just a little bit. Mason, based upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Bear with him in baptism and raise to walk in newness of life. Amen. Y'all give it up. Uh, we do have another who has prayed to receive the Lord as well. Uh, Miss Jasmine Watt is coming on out here. Jasmine, you come up. Watch your step right there. I know she's got a lot of family and friends here this morning. If you guys would just stand up where you are, and we want to recognize you. Y'all give it up for her. And uh, Jasmine, look out there to everybody. And, and Jasmine came forward a couple of weeks ago extremely excited because she has given her heart to Jesus. And so, Jasmine, we're excited for you as well. And uh, based upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, I get the opportunity now to baptize you. So bear with him in baptism and raise to walk in newness of life. Amen? All right. Good deal. Head back this way. that you guys have come to visit with us this morning. I know they shut the lights out on me, but I can still talk to you, can't I? I want to let you know how excited we were last weekend for our Disciple Now weekend. It was an awesome experience. Saw nine students give their heart to Jesus Christ. Saw two other students respond to a call by the Lord to go into full-time vocational ministry. So we're going to pray for them in the days ahead. And God just used our student pastor in a unique fashion. And his name's Brandon Roney. If you haven't met him yet, we're a blessed church to have he and his wife here helping us out. He's been on staff with us since the beginning of this year. And just to let you know as well, uh, this past weekend, uh, all of the material for Disciple Now, the stuff that they did in their homes, Brandon Roney actually wrote all of that material. So I just want to say thanks to him publicly. And Brandon, stand up and wave at everybody. We appreciate all your help, brother. You're the man. And listen, if you're visiting this morning, we're thankful to God that you're here with us. Very excited that you came to hang out. And when you came in, you received a brochure. Inside that little section is a visitor uh, card information. Man, I want to challenge you and encourage you to fill that out. 
you can do one of two things with it. Drop it in the offertory plate or come and meet me following the service out here in the foyer. I'd love to give you a free gift. I gave away several of them from our first service and I'd love to do that for you as well, all right? So thank you for being here. Y'all stand up, find somebody you look better than and welcome them to church this morning. convinced not oh yes I see that hand for salvation too happy are you happy and you know it clap your hands good at least you're awake hey wow I just kept going on and on and I'm happy in the early service man just something just struck me you know at the very beginning of that it was talking about what a wonderful change in my life November 16th, 1981. I know for some of you, you're going, God, that's a long time ago. I was 18. That's a really long time ago. Kneeling beside an ugly plaid couch at about 4.10 
in the afternoon while Gilligan's Island was on TV. Gilligan did not lead me to the Lord. It did not happen that way. But my mom, I came home, sat down, I had a little peanut butter jelly sandwich. And my mom goes, there's something going on in you. Something's just not right. What is it? And I had parents that I could talk to. I said, something's not right. She said, you're living a life, you're going to church, you're involved in everything, but there's something missing, isn't there? And I was like, yes, ma'am, there is. You know, I've gone on mission trips, gone on youth trips, I've done all this kind of stuff. I've been to church a long time. When my mom and dad accepted Christ in 1968, I walked down the aisle with them. We all were like little ducks in a line. And I stood there with them, shaking people's hands. I was in that same church, going through life, thinking that I had accepted Christ as well. But I hadn't. That day, November 16th, 1981, 4.10 in the afternoon, my mom led me to, to Christ, to faith in Christ. And you know what? I've not been the same since. I'm a different guy. Because of what Christ has done, I'm a different husband to my wife. Because of what God has done, I'm a different daddy to my kids. Because of what God has done, I'm different standing right here. But you know what? I don't care if I'm standing right here, if I'm at home chilling, if I'm on the ball field, if I'm on the golf course, or if I'm even on a cruise. I'm the same guy. Because of what Jesus did, and he came into my heart. Floods of joy, oh my soul, like a sea billow roll. And I think there's a lot of us in this room today that have forgotten that joy. Let's rekindle that joy again and realize what an awesome, awesome God we serve. Awesome God. be seated for just a moment and uh, so excited about what the Lord's doing in our church family. 
I want to welcome all of you who are our guests this morning and also let you know that coming up uh, is Easter and uh, very excited about that Sunday morning. Uh, it's only a few weeks away, but I want to go ahead and challenge you to begin considering those people that you're going to invite uh, to be your guest on Easter Sunday morning. We have three services to choose from. Uh, no Sunday school on that particular uh, day, but we will have three services. You can choose from one of those, and man, I want you to be a part of it. Also, want to let you know that Easter, we actually have an Easter egg hunt coming up on April the 7th. Awesome way for us to minister to our community. It was a great, great success last year. Want to encourage you to help us with that. So in order to do that, I need for you to do something, and that is bring some Easter eggs to church with you either tonight or next Sunday. We've got some green bins out there where you can put your eggs in there, fill them up with some candy. Uh, I've been told not to... Um, put any chocolate in them so if you've already bought chocolate and don't know what to do with it bring it to me i'll take care of it for you all right but bring some of those we've challenged every family to bring two dozen eggs so you do that it's going to be an awesome awesome time and somebody says well, why in the world y'all do an easter egg hunt here's the reason uh, so that we can get unchurched people uh, to come and hang out with us on a saturday so that we can rub shoulders with them and uh, share the gospel with them and so that's why we do it. It's just an outreach tool. So calm down if you're like, Easter eggs are of the devil. No, they ain't. Just chill out, all right? They're just Easter eggs, okay? And uh, we're going to find some. My kids are going to be out there. I'm going to be out there. Got prize egg. One of them's worth $5,000. So I'm just kidding. That'd be cool, though, wouldn't it? You know what I mean? It's like, I'll be there, boy. Pastor, I'll be there. You got aggressive when there was some money out, didn't you? That's right. So anyway. I'm supposed to be leading in prayer. That's what we need to do now. So let's go ahead and, and uh, bow our heads. Father, thank you uh, for your grace, for the opportunity this morning to come and to worship you. Not only to say that you're an awesome God, but God, it's a reminder, too, of how awesome you are in changing people's lives. Lord, as I see Jasmine and Mason walk back in here after being baptized, Lord, just the, the light in their face, how you've radically changed their hearts. God, I thank you for that. I want to pray this morning that you would bring that change into people's lives this morning as well. And I know there's probably some people here hanging out today who are visiting. They don't have a relationship with you. Uh, they're far from you. But God, I'm thankful that you're a merciful God. You desire for people to know you. Uh, God, you don't stand uh, without an extended arm through Jesus Christ, your son. So Lord, I just pray that they would be able to see how glorious you are, how you can change their life, how they can turn from their sin and trust you for salvation. And God, I just pray we'd see a great move this morning. Thank you so much for the uh, lady who prayed to receive you in our early service. And I'm going to trust that you'll do that work again today. But minister our heart. Lord, we're leaning towards Easter. It's a time frame where a whole bunch of people will show up to churches all over our community. So I want to pray for each pastor. God, I pray that you'd give them a word for those Sunday mornings. Uh, that they'd speak with passion and power. And God, that your uh, grace would show up in just a unique fashion in all the churches across the community as you draw people to yourself. And God, we'll celebrate all of those who are saved. Uh, whether they're saved here or they're saved down the street, we don't care as long as they know you personally. So give us that heartbeat and may we as a fellowship be aggressive uh, to reach out with the good news of the gospel. Do a work this morning and we'll give you praise for it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and everybody says, amen.
You are on your throne. 
you are God alone. And I pray that you would work right now, Father. Thank you for how you're working in the hearts and lives of these people and this body. I pray that as Pastor Levi comes right now to break your word of life, God, that you would just speak through him. Thank you, God, for his love for your word and his desire to passionately proclaim it without being ashamed at all. So, Lord, work in this place this morning. We love you and we honor you. And we're so thankful that you are God alone. In your precious name we pray. All right, you brought a Bible with you this morning, say yes, and I want to invite you to open with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 37 and 38. If you're visiting with us this morning, we welcome you and also want you to know that we've been preaching uh, verse by verse through this uh, Gospel, and God's really begun to speak to our hearts, and the message series is simply entitled, Astonished. Man, we are blessed, by the way, to have so many people who stay to services to help us out. Y'all let them know as they head out this morning how much we appreciate y'all. I know that takes a lot out of you, but astonished is where we are this morning. Luke chapter 6, verse 37 and 38, if you'll stand with me in honor of God's word. Luke 6, verse 37. Uh, Notice Jesus speaking, and you've probably heard this verse quoted a thousand times, but this is a good one. Do not judge, or you will be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and it will be pardoned unto you. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Let's bow our heads together. Father, thank you for your word. And our heart is to uh, hear from heaven. So speak clearly. Give unction from uh, the other side. Just use me as you see fit. Speak to every heart. Lord, I, I know there's application here for every single one of us. So Lord, do that in our souls and transform us into your image. And God, I just continue to pray for those who are far away from you. Uh, God, that you draw them near today and we'll be able to celebrate as a result of that. And we give you glory and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. You can be seated. Now, just so uh, make sure everybody's with me this morning uh, on this sermon. How many of you have ever heard the term culture shock? Slip your hand up real quick. Culture shock, very good. All right, put it back down. Uh, You know, if you've ever left the country before, you've probably experienced culture shock, but what exactly is it? Well, one writer states, and I quote, uh, the term culture shock was introduced for the first time in 1958 to describe the anxiety produced when a person moves to a completely new environment. Uh, This term expresses the lack of direction, the feeling of not knowing what to do or how to do things in a new environment, and not knowing what is appropriate or inappropriate, end quote. Now, I've experienced culture shock on more than one occasion, uh, and typically it happens whenever I travel overseas. But two instances that stand out to me this morning that I want to share with you very quickly. Uh, Krista and I were overseas. She's uh, actually teaching uh, children's church now, but Krista and I were overseas on one occasion, and we were eating, and I was just about to put the food into my mouth when all of a sudden I heard uh, dogs barking. And so I stopped for a moment and looked around and realized there were a lot of people in this restaurant who had brought their dogs in. Now, I know some of you may be dog lovers, but I ain't. Are y'all listening? So I'm like, what are them dogs in up here? That's nasty. So that was culture shock for me. I had to get used to eating around a bunch of dogs. A note to self for you, if you invite us over, uh, put your dog away, God bless you, and then we'll eat. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But anyway, I got in trouble about that the first service. Uh, not only did we experience some dogs, but I also was in Cambodia on one occasion and went out to eat at an open-air restaurant, which just simply means it didn't have walls on it. 
Me and my buddy walked into this open air restaurant and immediately saw on every table and in every chair cats. And so before we could eat, we had to scrape the stray cats off of the table, uh, kick them out of our seat and sit down. And needless to say, we did not order meat. <laughs> Culture shock, man. You have to get used to that, right? Well, the scriptures here this morning teach that we have been taken out of darkness and you and I have been placed into the marvelous light of God. We've been taken out of one kingdom and placed into another kingdom, out of one environment, out of one culture, and placed into an entirely new culture. And the change in the environment for those in Jesus' day, as well as our day, causes us oftentimes to experience what we would call culture shock. See, what was normal for us while we walked in the darkness apart from God is no longer normal for us as we now walk in the light with a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 20 through 49 explicitly, Jesus delivers a message called the Beatitudes, which really describe what the new culture is all about. And uh, the entire message shares with you and I about the kinds of attitudes we are to possess as well as the kinds of actions that we are to take. However, it's somewhat of a culture shock because the way Jesus teaches you and I to live our day-to-day -day lives is often in direct opposition to the way our old nature desires to live. Now, the text we're gonna unpack this morning deals directly with how we treat other people. And this was probably gonna get all up in your face too, so I'm really looking forward to it. But it talks specifically about how we treat other people. Now, I just wanna go ahead and say this for free, and I know this is kind of, uh, uh, you've probably heard this before, but listen closely. If you are a follower of Jesus, you should look different than those who are not followers of Jesus. There should be a total stark difference about your attitude, your character, your conduct, the way you think, and the way you live. And when you and I began to look different, what we're doing is really reflecting the light of the gospel that has so changed us in our lives. That's what makes us effective witnesses to those who don't know Jesus. The reason some people have no desire to know Jesus is because they know you. Y'all out there? And as a result, your life doesn't give any evidence of Jesus changing you. And whenever you and I choose to follow Christ, our lives are changed. And now, in that relationship, we want to grow in our knowledge of who He is, apply the Scriptures, apply this new culture. And whenever we do that, we look completely different. And what's happening in that moment is that the light of the gospel is actually shining forth and piercing the darkness. And people see that difference in you. And I want us as a fellowship, including myself, to all experience a changed life daily so that we continue to shine more and more of the light of gospel to those around us. Listen, if we are healthy followers of Jesus, we will see lives changed in our midst. If we are healthy followers of Jesus, we will have a desire to live in such a manner as to be a witness to those who do not know Jesus Christ. So if you're in here this morning and you really don't have a desire to see people saved, you've got a massive heart problem. Whenever you're following Christ, you become concerned with what Christ is concerned with. He's concerned about people, therefore you and I will be concerned about people. So this morning, as we look at our text, there's really a key question. And the question that we want to answer is, how are we to live differently as disciples of Jesus Christ? How are we to live differently? 
And Jesus is going to teach us how to do that in two major ways. First statement for you this morning. We need to live differently. Here's how to do it. We must stop throwing boomerangs. Uh, boomerangs, yes, boomerangs. I've got some this morning uh, that we purchased online. It's amazing what you can get online. Got a couple of boomerangs this morning. In just a moment, I'm going to throw them. And Lord willing, they'll do what they're supposed to do. So pray now, if you don't mind. But we talk about these boomerangs. What are these boomerangs? Well, notice in Luke 6 and 37, the Bible says, do not judge. Everybody say judge. Yeah, that's boomerang number one. And then it says, do not condemn. Everybody say condemn. Yeah, that's boomerang number two. But let's just for a moment focus our attention on boomerang number one, which is judging. Those who follow the Lord Jesus do not judge other people. Now, this is quite interesting considering some of the other New Testament passages that we have in the Bible. For example, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, If your brother sins, then you should go and show him his fault in private. Now, please listen closely. This means that you have to judge your brother's sin as sinful before you can ever show him his fault in private. Also in John's Gospel, chapter 7 and verse 24, we read, judge with righteous judgment. So the question is, which is it? All right, Has Jesus kind of gotten confused here? Because in one text, he says, judge not lest you be judged. In another text, he says, judge righteously. So what is going on here? Listen closely. The judging which Jesus speaks of in our verse for this morning is very distinct in its meaning as well as its context. When Jesus says, do not judge, he was speaking directly to the unholy censorship of the self-righteous. The word judge literally means to sift or to evaluate with the intent to find harm. See, the goal of this type of judgment is to tear another person down in order to build another person, or rather, in order to build uh, one's self up. And you've got to think about this because uh, biblically there is a righteous judgment that a believer can possess. And there is an unrighteous judgment that a believer can also possess. An unrighteous judgment is the judgment that sifts a person's life, looks at individuals in the building, and you find stuff to be critical about and put them down, whether in your mind or in a conversation with your spouse or even in a conversation with others in the hallway. Did you see so-and-so? Did you hear what's going on with so-and-so? And you have no motive no heart intent to help the individual, but instead you just rag them out for what's going on in their life. Jesus says, stop doing that. Now, you and I desire for people to be restored. We also desire for people to be redeemed. So in the context of restoration, I'm going to preach on this next Sunday, and I can't wait to get there. But whenever you are using righteous judgment, you see a brother who falls into his or her sin, and you desire to restore them, pick them up, so that they can continue the journey of faith wholeheartedly. Now, if you are using unrighteous judgment, you see someone fall over into sin, and instead of helping them up, you rag them out and put them down, and all at the same time, you are elevating yourself. Now, in other words, it is censorship with unjust motives to lessen another person while making yourself look better. Now, ladies and gentlemen, massive statement for you this morning. Please get this into your heart and into your mind. The peak of self-exaltation, the very height of a prideful attitude is a critical spirit toward other people. That is the height of arrogance, to become critical of others. 
This type of self-righteous judgment is obvious in the life of a person. They're always talking about other people, always gossiping about the sins of others. They spend much of their time taking inventory of people's lives with the intent to find something wrong. They do not care about that person's relationship with Jesus. They're simply consumed with themselves. So they think that in pointing out others' unholiness, this somehow makes them holy. That is the exact opposite of what occurs. In fact, the Lord Jesus uh, speaks about having a judgmental attitude and gives us a parable in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 18. Listen to what Jesus says. Just listen and pretend for just a moment you're sitting there listening to Jesus tell you this parable. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and he was praying to himself. And I love how Jesus stresses that. The Pharisee did not pray to God. He was praying to himself. And then he says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. And it's as if he's pointing at him. And then he says, I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector... He was beating his chest, saying, God, hey, be merciful on me, a sinner. Jesus then responds, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. But for everyone who exalts himself, y'all still out there? Y'all hear that popping racket? It don't matter to me. We can swing from the chandeliers we ain't got, and I'd still preach. Y'all all right? Somebody need to hear that. That's why the devil started poking on this thing. Yo, can I get a witness? So here's the deal. You come, and what Jesus is saying is that when you have a self-righteous self attitude, what you do is you think you got it going on, and you're so thankful you're not like everybody else. But the man who really is justified by Almighty God is the man who realizes he is a sinner and is in desperate need of a Savior. That is the only one who can be saved. And that's what Jesus is teaching. And I love what he says. He says it like this. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. So Jesus was speaking here of the self-righteous attitude that causes us to look down our noses at other people. Now, when comparing ourselves to others, we always find ways to make ourselves out to be better than those we are judging. You know, I was talking with someone this past week and had a very uh, awesome conversation. And uh, just pretend that's somebody clapping for me. Y'all with me? Can I get a handheld or something? Help me out here. Get a handheld. Y'all are clapping. I don't know what y'all are doing. Changeable, <laughs> unstoppable. Just kidding. Hey, uh, can y'all hear me now? Hey, man, I feel like we're doing a cell phone commercial right here, but it's all good. So what we're looking at here is where Jesus is basically teaching you and I how to live in this new culture of his kingdom, which is that we live in such a way that we do not judge. Now, in other words, check this out. If we continue to find ways to throw out the boomerang of unholy judgment, then we will continue to receive unholy judgment right back. You know, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this scripture entitled The Message he actually says, and listen closely, he says, do not pick on people, do not jump on their failures and criticize their faults unless, of course, you want the same treatment. 
So Jesus is saying to you and I, hey, don't you get out there and throw a boomerang of judgment toward other people. Are y'all ready? Y'all, silent prayer right now. Here it goes. Because whenever you throw out judgment, it always comes back around. Oh, I almost called it. It's because of this microphone. <laughs> Let me see if I can throw this out. See if it comes back. But it always comes back around, and that's what Jesus is teaching us here. In fact, it's awesome. Jesus is actually speaking to his disciples, and in context, he's basically saying, you can't stand it, can you? When the Pharisees, Sadducees, and other religious people come casting judgment on you, I mean, they burden you down with a list of rules they don't even keep. They pride themselves in being spiritual hall monitors, but be sure of this, those who are in my kingdom, yeah, they don't live like that. This is awesome. He actually says, so don't fall into the trap of tossing a boomerang of judgment toward others or else that boomerang will come back to you. Now let's talk about boomerang number two. What was it? Yeah, it was condemnation. To condemn someone is not only to judge their sin, but it goes a step further. It also means to judicially declare that they are unworthy of mercy. Now check this out. The religious leaders did this all the time in Jesus' day. They didn't think tax collectors and quote, unquote, sinners could have a relationship with God. So by their actions, they condemned them. They left them out. They acted as judge and jury about the fate of others' souls. And not only this, but eventually you will find that they also did the same thing with Gentiles. Gentiles are just people who aren't Jewish. But these Jewish individuals who were considered religious, they would come along and be like, you Gentiles, you can't know God. You're not part of God's people. And so they would cast judgment on them and they would condemn them. So this is wild, what the Lord is teaching us. We find that we are not to put ourselves in the seat of the judge and hammer the gavel down concerning another person's eternal destiny. Now, very quickly, don't misinterpret this scripture. Are y'all listening? Say yes. Do not misinterpret the scripture. The Bible teaches that those who do not come to faith in Jesus Christ will spend eternity separated from God in hell. So the Bible teaches. So when I say this to a person, it's not me condemning them. Rather, this is me pointing out what God has already said. In fact, I don't take the role of the, the one who condemns. Uh, what I'm doing is taking the role of the one who warns. See, so you can come into church and you're like, good night, that preacher said, if I don't come to Jesus, I'm going to go to hell. He's so judgmental. He's so con uh, condemning. No, no, no. I am so loving and actually desire to warn you. All right? I have no pleasure in pointing a finger and acting like you're going to hell. Listen, to, I was going to hell till God graciously redeemed me, and now I want other people to know Jesus. So that's the difference there. However, please note what this scripture is teaching contextually is not that there are people who don't deserve God's mercy, but rather this scripture is teaching that I, and listen, I'm just talking on my, on my behalf, I should not condemn a person by declaring them unworthy of my mercy. Are y'all out there say yes? I, I can't condemn them as unworthy of my mercy. So when I am done wrong as a believer, when I'm done wrong by another person, my goal cannot be to get even. My goal cannot be to seek to do them harm, not to write them off. I don't personally condemn them and offer no mercy toward them, nor can I create a bunch of hoops that they have to jump through in order to get back on my good side. Now, why is it that I don't act like that? Why is it that I don't live in that way? Why is it that I should not live in that way? Well, think about it. What if this is how God treated me? 
What if God looked at me, Levi, and said, Levi, man, there's no way you can earn my favor, but check out all these little hoops. You jump through those hoops, then I'll show you some mercy. That's the exact opposite of what God did. The Bible teaches me, in fact, in verse 36, be merciful just as your father is merciful. So in the same way, check this out and listen closely. When I extend mercy to those who have come against me, what I am actually doing is reflecting the very nature and character of the one that I call God. He is merciful, therefore I show mercy. <laughs> that is awesome. So if you're in the building this morning and there are people you work with, uh, people you live with or even people you go to church with that you have written off, you have hardened your heart to a point that mercy and forgiveness is not even an option, you need to stop that. You need to offer forgiveness. You need to offer mercy. And somebody's like, well, they don't deserve it. Neither did you. So we offer that to others. Now, that does not... Uh, display the attitude of a person who's been taken out of darkness and placed into the kingdom of light when he condemns. An attitude of condemnation is not the norm for those in the culture of God's kingdom. And then I'll give you this statement. An attitude of condemnation does not reflect the mercy given to us who are in the kingdom of Christ. So if you keep throwing this boomerang, uh, literally, of condemnation out towards people, what the scripture says is that that boomerang is going to come right back and hit you every single time. So get rid of your boomerang. Somebody say, get rid of them. And let me go to the second point here this morning. Y'all still with me? Say amen. And uh, pretty cool deal here. We need to get rid of boomerangs, and we need to start throwing blessings. Start throwing blessings. Notice the next part of verse 37. The Bible says, pardon and you will be pardoned. Now, whenever I hear the word pardon, I, th I think of two things. First of all, I think of the commercial that says, pardon me, do you have any great pepon? And I know that ain't spiritual, so that can't be right. But whenever I think of this word pardon, I'm like, what does this mean? Well, it literally means to divorce. Please listen, this is awesome. To divorce a wrong done from the person. So I've got an individual, and I, I, I didn't do this in the first service, but I want you to see this. I've got an individual who has done me wrong. They've treated me poorly. They've been ugly to me. they persecuted me, said something about me that wasn't, wasn't true, whatever the case is, but they've been ugly. What I need to do is pardon them. So I look at them, and it's as if they are married to the condemnation or the judgmental attitude they've had towards me. So what do I need to do? According to my Bible, I need to divorce, divorce that attitude from that person. Isn't that awesome? And so I begin to pardon them. It carries the idea of dismissing a wrong done to you by another. And uh, we go a step further. I even think oftentimes when I use the word pardon about the President of the United States, he actually has the right afforded to him by the Constitution to grant pardon to people who are in prison for crimes that they have committed. Now I want you to think about that. In my research this past week, I found a list of crimes that were uh, pardoned by our current and past presidents, George W. Bush and Bill Clinton. So listen to some of the things that they pardoned others for. First was cocaine possession. Pardon, you may go now. Perjury, pardoned. Drug smugglers, pardoned. Bank fraud, they were pardoned. A hip-hop uh, song, let me say this over. I can't rap very well, but anyway, a hip-hop singer-songwriter who smuggled cocaine. He was pardoned. Illegal possession of governmental property. Pardoned. So you can still suffer from the government and they'll let you out. Isn't that awesome? So the president 
has the right to pardon people for crimes they have committed. They release them from their judgment on the grounds of the U.S. Constitution. Now, you've got to listen to this closely. Based completely upon the constitution of God's kingdom of light, which was written by his son's blood upon our hearts who believe, we are now free. What for? We are free to pardon all people for their crimes against us. In fact, it would be unconstitutional for us as citizens of heaven to judge or condemn anyone for their crimes against us because of the great heavenly pardon we each have received by our Father God. Isn't that wild how the Lord works? Somebody says, but Levi, you don't understand what he's done or you don't understand what she has done. And I would agree with you, I have no clue your situation. I don't know what somebody's done to you, but here's the deal. I do know what God has done for you. And just based solely upon the fact that you were born a sinner, a child of the wrath of God, but God in his grace and mercy reached down through his son, dying on a cross, paying the penalty of your sin, being buried and resurrected. And when God did this, and one day he reached down and grabbed you, took you out of darkness and put you into the light, how in the world can you and I live a condemning, judgmental attitude as if we've got something going on when we ain't got jack going on except the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ which has radically saved us? That's all we've got. So we give that to others. And we throw the blessings, you know, don't forget this passage in its context is how we treat other people. So Jesus is teaching that we throw pardon towards others and we will receive pardon from others. And what God's message is for some of you this morning, you know what it is? Some of you came to church this morning and uh, you need to throw some blessings of pardon on someone. You've got some issues with your spouse, you need to pardon them. You've got some issues with your uh, father, your mother, your daughter, your son. You've got some issues with people you work with, co-workers, uh, grandparents. You've got problems. If you are saved, show that you are saved and give out some pardon. Isn't that wild? It goes further. Take a look at chapter 6, verse 38 in your Bible. you got it there in front of you. Say yes. That was about four of you. You got it there in front of you. Say yes. Uh, check it out. Give and it will be given to you. Uh, they will pour into your lap. Some of your uh, texts say bosom. A good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now note the parallel uh, here that Jesus uses. The opposite of judging a person is pardoning them. The opposite of condemning a person is giving them more than they deserve. Do y'all see that? It really is what I'm seeing the Lord teach here. Notice the first portion. He says, give and it will be given to you. Somebody's like, well, give what? Well, look, look back at the context. Jesus says, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Give to everyone who asks. Do good to the enemies of your faith. So you know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, hey, what you and I should be doing is actually giving ourselves to other people. If they need something, help them out. If they curse you, bless them. They persecute you, give them some prayer. So we give, and it'll be given to us. Notice how it will be given. Poured out into your lap, a good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now, everybody look at me eyeball to eyeball here. I'm going to show you something. Y'all see this little deal here? Uh, this is a tiny mason jar. 
But what I want to do is show you what the text is saying. The text says that by the measure that you use, God will make sure the same measure is used back to you. All right? You always me say yes? Brandon, let me get your help real quick. Just hold this. You know what this is? This is a whole bowl full of blessings, all right? Really, it's a bowl full of wheat, and that was kind of the image Jesus was using. So what happens is if I'm done wrong, what I should do is go straight to the bowl of blessing because I've been so blessed by the Lord. And I pull it up, shaking together, pressed down, running over is the imagery here. And then I go to the person who has done me wrong, and I literally pour this onto their lives. Are y'all with me? Say yes. Now, what the Bible teaches is that by the same standard of measure I use, God will make sure that same standard of measure is going to be used back on me. So I bless those who persecute me, and God says, give me that mason jar and let me pour it into your lap. Y'all ain't listening. Y'all get this? I mean, shake your head at me. That makes good sense, doesn't it? Now, that's pretty sweet. Would y'all agree? Let me start again. That's pretty sweet. Wouldn't y'all agree? I mean, that is awesome. But I want to go a step further. Just put that down for me a second. I want you to see this because this is wild. Y'all still with me? Say, yeah. Somebody does me wrong. What I want to do, if God is going to bless me by the same standard of measure I use, why would I, where is this thing? Why in the world would I want to use something like this if I know God's going to use this to bless me? It's like, no, no, no God's going to bless me. Tell you what, I don't want to use that, man. Here's what I'm going to use. Five-gallon bucket, baby. Y'all with me? So then I come over here, and I want to get all this blessing in here. Check it out. Boom. I'm going to fill this up. Press it down, shake it together, running over, and then I'm going to find that dude that's treated me wrong. And I want to bless him, pray for him, love on him, take him out to eat. Are y'all listening? And I'm going to pour it on him. And then I'm going to leave and I'm going to be like, bring it, God. Because <laughs> he's going to use the same standard of measure that I've used on others upon me. What a great truth that is. Now look at me. If we really believe this, can I come sit with you for a second? Y'all look at can y'all see me? If we really believe this, there's no way in the world we'd walk out of here being unholy judges against other people. If we really believe this, there's no way in the world we'd hold grudges against people. There's no way we would say, I can't forgive him or I can't forgive her. No, no, no. If you've been forgiven, you better pour out some forgiveness. Do y'all hear this? And what's wild about this is this is totally opposite of how you and I would normally live. But you ain't into darkness anymore, bro. You're in the light now. That, that's how you used to act. We don't act like that no more. Different norms, different culture. Now look at me and I'm almost done. Don't put your stuff up, but just look at me. There's two spiritual kingdoms. How many? Yeah, two of them. There's darkness, there's light. That's what the Bible teaches. Everybody up in the room, you're either in the darkness or you're in the light. If you're in the darkness, it just means that you have yet to see the light of what God has done for you. God created you to know him. Your sin separates you from him. Hold on to your sin. You'll spend eternity in hell. That's condemning. No, it ain't. It's warning. All right? So I'm just warning you of that. But God graciously loves you. Even in your sin, he wants to show mercy to you. The Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but all to come to everlasting life. So God actually wants to take you out of the darkness this morning. So how does he do it? Well, he can't just overlook your sin. He has to pay for your sin. How did he do that? He did that in his son, Jesus. 
Jesus came, died on a cross. God treated Jesus on the cross if he committed all of your sin. He was buried and resurrected. The only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. He's the only one who paid for our sin. You know, it's interesting, I run into people and they're like, Levi, there's got to be multiple ways to get to heaven. Surely, there's several different options. Look, I'm shocked there's one option. I can't believe all of us are guilty. We've all broken the law of God. Just the simple fact God gave us an option is amazing. <laughs> so the option's Jesus. If you reject him, then you'll stay in darkness and you will be cast into outer darkness, as the Bible says, which is hell for all of eternity. However, if you realize you're a sinner, you can't save yourself, come to church don't make you Christian, getting baptized don't make you saved, uh, going to Sunday school won't get rid of your sins. Y'all out there? Won't get rid of them. you got to come to faith in Jesus. When you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in that moment, listen, God radically changes you. And check it out. He reaches down, takes you out of the darkness, brings you over, and drops you down into the light. Then there's a difference. Then there's a life change. And can I apologize? Look at the preacher. You're in here this morning, and you're in the dark, and you've been around some folks who called themselves Christians. And all they did was point at you, judge you, be ugly to you. Can I apologize? That ain't how God is. He's merciful. So don't allow what some old joker who called himself a Christian do keep you from coming to faith in Jesus Christ. All right? God can change you this morning. That's been my prayer for a whole lot of you. Praying God would bring you to salvation this morning. Get in the light, man. Let's bow together. Father, speak to hearts right now in Jesus' name.